0: Today, I'll be reading from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, and I'll be reading from the ESV. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. he cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
1: This last month, uh, as Pastor JP you know, was, was kind of uh, repeating over our announcements today, we have been going deep into a fresh new understanding of what kind of life we are called to live. In light of our eternal destiny, in light of the end times, and in light of what is at stake. And so this past month has been jam-packed with things, but I'm hoping that it wasn't just a lot of information, and it wasn't just a lot of programs and activity, but it was a time of sober reflection for us all. We've had two Saturday morning classes where we talked about the grand scheme of things why it's imperative that we have an understanding of who God is and why it's imperative that we have an understanding of the end times. We talked about the birth pangs. We talked about the seven years of tribulation, the return of Christ, the millennium, the final defeat of Satan and the new heavens and new earth. We talked about all of that. In the midst of that, what are we called to be? What kind of church are we called to be? And then just last week, we had a three-day joint online conference where I'm hoping we walked away with a new understanding of what a unique generation we are in, what it's going to require of us to live a life that is crucified and set apart, to live a life of sober mind and undivided heart, a life that is called to preach a message that heralds the coming of a king, And to engage in a mission to train, to raise up a new generation of disciples that behold the glory of Jesus and they are being transformed from glory to glory in his likeness. It has been such an incredible last month to get a big picture sense of God's grand narrative and the minuscule yet crucial Role that we get to play in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Crucial, yes. <laughs> but all this talk, honestly, for me, has had me thinking very deeply in the last few weeks. As this big picture gets clearer, as what's at stake gets clearer, as the task at hand gets clearer, I've been asking myself the big life questions. Am I spending my life well? Am I investing my time well? Am I laboring to steward that which has been entrusted to me? Not to someone else, but to me. Am I stewarding that well? Am I loving his body well? Am I loving him well? And this has been such a good season of reflection for myself personally. This is not to guilt all of us into, you know, self condemnation, but this is to give us an opportunity to soberly assess and give ourselves a long, hard look in the mirror and heed to God's gentle correction, if that is there. Because if we are not careful, if we are not vigilant, if we are not alert, and of sober mind, we know all too well that life can become about me, myself, and I very quickly. It can become about my comfort. It can become about my gain, my agenda, my ambitions, my family, my career, my advancement. It can become about me so quickly. So today's message is titled, The Trap Of comparison, excuses, and fear. The trap of comparison, excuses, and fear. And I want us to revisit a passage that we covered at our house churches a few months ago. Specifically the parable of the talents. Now in light of what we've been talking about for the last month. I believe that it will help frame our understanding of who God is. And what we've been called to. To do. Now, just to refresh your memory, this is part of the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus' last sermon where he's unapologetically teaching his disciples about the end times and how they ought to live in light of that. In other words, he teaches about this reality that is about to come. And then in light of that, he challenges them to live accordingly, to love accordingly, and to invest accordingly. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from this parable, especially from the first two servants, how to respond in faith, how to steward something for someone else with the same care and the same responsibility as if it were your own, how to not squander an opportunity given to us. But what I want us to focus on today is the third servant. I want us to focus on this third servant servant that buried his talent in the ground and when his master returned and settled accounts all he did was redig this talent from the ground and give it back to him now where did things go wrong why did he do what he did and why did he say what he said i want us to go a bit deeper into this Because if we are honest, and if I'm honest, I see a lot of myself in this third servant. I see a lot of the thought patterns in this third servant. I see that in myself as well. Now let me give you a brief uh, illustration. When I was young, I was always kind of like a high achiever. I always wanted to make my parents proud. And for a long time, what I lived for was for my parents' approval. That's a reason why I studied hard. That's a reason I was a very straight-laced person. I was not, you uh, you know, a prodigal son per se. I was more of a Pharisee. I was more of a typical elder son, even though I was a middle child. And for most of my life, the reason why I did many things, it was simply to please my parents. I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be a good daughter. I wanted to make my parents proud. Now, this is something wonderful that happened right around the time I was getting to um, graduate from high school. And my parents knew that that was coming around the corner. And they knew that they were going to send me off to college. Now, I lived in Latin America for a long time, right? I was born and raised in Chile. And I graduated high school from there. But then when I was about to step into college, they were going to send me off to the States. And they knew that in the States... They don't have the reach and they don't have the sway. They don't have the ability to control what I do, to keep an eye on how I'm doing, what kind of person I'm becoming. And so in preparation for that, as I was getting ready to graduate from high school, they began to talk to me about how what I am doing isn't necessarily for them. It is making me the person that I'm becoming. The decisions that I make, when I choose to study, when I choose to exert myself, who, who I decide to hang out with, how I decide to spend my time, how I decide to spend my money, what I'm going to place my hopes in, all these things, ultimately it wasn't for my parents' benefit. They began to tell me that these decisions have everything to do with the kind of person you are becoming. And you are going to have to live with those consequences. You are going to have to live being that person. You are forming who you are and who you want to be through these decisions. And as they began to talk to me about that, I began to realize this is so true. Like I could live to please my parents all I want. But in the end, I'm the one who has to live with those decisions. I'm the one who has to live with the consequences of what I do. And ultimately, I am responsible for the kind of person I am becoming. I can't blame anyone else for that. I can't look to someone else and be, well, it was because of my upbringing. Well, it was because of the way that my parents raised me. Well, it was because of these opportunities or these lack of opportunities. I couldn't look to anyone else To make excuses for myself. I needed to take responsibility. For the kind of person. That I was becoming. Now let's revisit this third servant's statement. Before his master. As we look through it once again. You might hear it. With perhaps a tone of accusation. Maybe a little passive aggressive jab. Maybe a twinge of jealousy. And this is what. The third servant said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So where did it all start for this third servant? Because it didn't happen in a vacuum. There were some deeply rooted beliefs that led him to do what he did. And so I'm going to walk us through three different misconceptions that this third servant had. Number one, misconceptions about the master, misconceptions about the talents, and misconceptions about himself. And so as we uncover these beliefs, as is the purpose of a parable, we will also begin to uncover our own misconceptions about God, about his gifts, and about our call to servanthood. So firstly, this servant had an inaccurate view of the master, as we often have an inaccurate view of God. He is a hard man. He is a hard man. He is unfair. He gave others some more. He gave me a little less. He is demanding. He is using me for his own gain. He will use me for his advancement and then discard me. His gains have nothing to do with me. And his losses have nothing to do with me. I am serving a hard man man now how does the way the third servant describe uh the way that the third servant describes a master betray about what he thinks about him the greek word for hard is scleros it means fierce harsh severe so we're not talking about it like hey look I need you to become like a hard man. You're, you're, you know, you know, you're particular. You have your own ways. This is not what he was saying. This was a straight up accusation. I knew you to be a fierce, severe, and harsh man. He says, "Master, I need you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours." Translation. I didn't earn anything. I didn't multiply anything. I didn't accomplish anything. And it's because you are harsh. It's because you're severe. It is because you are fierce. You are unfair. It is your fault. This is what he's saying to the master. This servant sees the master in such a way That it binds him when he is called to serve him and to serve him generously. In his mind, there's a suspicion. And even if I give this my all, he is going to cheat me out of it. Even if I were to try to work with this one meager talent that he has given me, it's still not going to be enough. He's severe and he's harsh. He is fierce. He's not going to be fair to me. This is the inaccurate view that this third servant had of his master. And so often, whether we like to admit it or not, this is the way that we view God. We hold back from him. We, we kind of clench our fists around the things that we don't want to surrender. We don't want to give up. We are hesitant To go all in. We're hesitant to be wholehearted in our pursuit. And often it is because in the back of our mind, there is a suspicion that this God is out to take advantage of me. This God is a harsh God. And even if I were to give it my all, it still wouldn't be enough. He is a hard man. This is often. Maybe not what we say through our words, but often what our behavior, what our decisions betray, we actually believe. This God isn't for me. He is against me. This God is out to wring me dry. He wants to squeeze every last part of joy and enjoyment of my life. And I am called to live a miserable life serving this hard man. Although we don't like to say it out loud, how many of us live that way? We truly don't believe that our God is a good God. We believe that he's out to spoil our fun. He's out to cheat us out of rewards. He's out to make life hard for us. This is often what we believe about God. And what often holds us back from being able to wholeheartedly surrender to him. If we don't fully trust the character of God, we will never fully surrender to him. If there's a suspicion in the back of your mind, he's not good, he's not for me. He's out to destroy me. He's out to torture me. He's out to make my life miserable. He's out for his own gain, but he has no regard for me. If there's a suspicion in the back of our minds, we are never truly going to surrender to him. That was the first misconception that this third servant had. He thought of his master as a hard man. Now, the second misconception that the servant had is he had an inaccurate view of the talents. And we often have an inaccurate view of God's gifts for us. He had in his mind this idea that this master did not sow. He didn't sow. He didn't scatter seed. Now let's pause for a second. Is this true? Right? Is this true? Did this master not sow? Did this master not scatter seed? This is completely false, right? Whether it was five talents, whether it was two talents, whether it was one talent, the master sowed. The master scattered seed. The master gave and entrusted and showered generosity and faith. The servants didn't deserve any of it. Not even one talent. They they weren't indebted in any way. Not even one talent. And yet the master entrusted them with something that rightfully belonged to him. The lie that was in the servant's mind was... He's giving me nothing to work with. He's expecting a return when all he gave me was one talent. Let me tell you, one talent is a lot. Going from zero to one is a lot, especially if that one doesn't belong to you. And so, this lie that he had in his mind man, this master didn't even sow, he didn't give anything. He didn't sow, and he's expecting to reap. He didn't scatter seed and he's expecting a harvest. He's expecting a return. This is completely false. He was completely blind to his master's generosity. He gave him a talent and entrusted him with it. In his mind, he had given him nothing. And yet we know that this is not true. The master had given him generously. How often... Do we think in this way? How often do we maybe look around at someone else who maybe looks like they're ahead in some ways or they're better equipped in some ways or they're getting opportunities that we wish we had and we look at our own lives and we say, you've given me nothing to work with. You haven't sown. How do you expect to reap from my life? I'm not going to give you anything. This idea that God has been stingy he has been cheap with me and he still expects a reward that is a massive inaccuracy that is a massive lie that had somehow ingrained itself itself in the third servant's mind he didn't see what god had given him maybe he was too busy comparing what others had gotten maybe he was too busy trying to figure out what to do with it, whatever the case was. In his mind, my master did not sow. He didn't give him himself. He didn't show generosity. He didn't show trust. He did not sow. So I'm not going to multiply anything for him. That was the second misconception. Now the third was he had an inaccurate view Of the master and consequently an inaccurate view of the talents. And he reaches this inaccurate view of servanthood. In his mind, he had exempted himself from all responsibility. He said, my master's business is his and mine is mine. I wash my hands and I'm not responsible. Here's what's yours. You hear that contempt in, in, in that phrase. Here's what is yours. It belongs to you. Your things are yours. My things are mine. I have no stake in your business. I have no responsibility to do anything for you. The servant didn't understand what it meant to be a servant. The master's business is your business. The master's game is your game. The master's loss is your loss. He did understand what he was being called to do, that he was called to serve and be a part of a household. So often in our own lives, we compartmentalize these things. Sometimes we say, well, here are my dreams and my ambitions and what I want to get out of this life and the things that I want to attain in this lifetime. And then... Here are God's affairs. This is his advancement, his gain, and this has nothing to do with my life. I might choose to help out a little bit here, serve a little bit here, throw a little money here. But essentially, this has nothing to do with my life. How often do we compartmentalize our lives that way? And we see this very clearly when those two things come into uh, conflict When we feel like, man, we got to give up like something that we want in order to get something like do something that God wants. And we pit these two things against one another. Thinking, man, if I'm going to be at a loss, I'm going to give up what I really want in order to do what God really wants. And I have no stake in this. I have nothing to gain from this. This is going to go into somebody else's pocket. This is going to benefit someone else. This has nothing to do with me. And this is a completely warped way of seeing what we've been called to do here on earth. God's business, your master's business has everything to do with you. You have a responsibility and you have a stake in his business. So the statement from this third servant was, first of all, factually false. It was filled with accusation and completely denying responsibility. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scatter no seed. So obviously I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground you know, parenthesis, that's what you deserve. Here, you have what is yours. If we were to change this statement to a factually true statement, this is probably what it would sound like. Master, I knew you to be a generous man, sowing and scattering seed entrusted to me So I was emboldened and I was empowered. And I went and multiplied the talent that you gave me here. You have what is ours. This is the truth. The master didn't owe him anything. He had set him up for success. And yet this third servant was so tied up in this lie the suspicion that he was, he's out to use me, he's out to get me. He's out just for his own benefit and his own gain, and I have no part in that reward. He was so tied up in this lie that he completely missed an opportunity. Now, it sounds very easy to look at someone else and tell him, well, I can tell you a million things that he did wrong. But my point today is how often do we do this when it comes to God's business? This whole last month, we've been talking about the grand narrative, what God is doing, how God is moving in the nations, what is going to require of this generation, what is the task at hand. And let me tell you, Nephili, we have a responsibility. We have been entrusted with something. And we are called to be about our father's business. We are called to be about his kingdom. Now, for today, I want us to focus on just three different application points. And it's easier said than done. Easier said than done, I know that. But this is the first thing that I hope we walk away from from this lesson of specifically the third servant. First thing is don't fall into the trap of comparison, don't fall into the trap of comparison. Two quick observations about this parable. Number one, the parable explicitly says talents were given according to, not the master's generosity, also that was already there, according to the servant's ability. It was according to the servant's ability. We have no one to blame here. If I receive one talent, is all that I can I can be entrusted with, right? In many ways, isn't this very comforting to hear? God knows how little or how much you're capable of stewarding. He knows perfectly. He assesses perfectly, and he distributes perfectly. Whatever you've been given to steward. It is not too much or too little according to your ability. God distributes perfectly. Talents were given according to their ability. Second observation. Uh, not the second application yet. Second observation from this is whether they made five extra talents or whether they made two extra talents, their words of affirmation and their reward was the same. It was the same. The person who gave five more, Hey, I, you gave me five and now I give you five more. And the servant who had two and gave him two more, you would think that the master would Wow, like really celebrate this first servant. Like, wow, he gave me five more. And then for the second servant, you would have been like, okay, well, he tried. That's nice. What a nice gesture. But no, his words of affirmation and his rewards for them were the same. How does this comfort us? Sometimes you feel like you're behind others. Sometimes you feel like your life doesn't bear the fruit that others bear. Sometimes you feel like you are trying your best and still falling behind. But this is the message for you today. God is not a hard man. No matter how little or how much you've been given, when you multiply, when you invest, when you steward what's been given, you will be given a reward. So don't fall into the trap Of comparison. It is all too easy. In this life, and especially in this age, especially with social media, with platforms that show us only what, you know, only the glossy things, only the glamorous shots. In this day and age, it is so easy to fall into comparison. It is so easy to open up your phone, go into Instagram, and scroll through and feel less feel so small, feel like, oh my gosh, my life is not amounting to anything. Oh my gosh, this person is doing this. Oh my gosh, this ministry is doing this. Oh my gosh, they're so far ahead in life. What about me? Our current day and age is designed to bring us into the place of comparison. But don't fall into that trap. God has given you perfectly. And as long as you steward well, you multiply well, you invest well, You will be given a reward. I believe that at the end of this age, when we come before Jesus and we bear account to how we've lived our lives, we're going to be very, very surprised by how he rewards. We're going to think, oh, these nobodies that, you know, nobody knew their names. And, you know, they didn't seem to influence a whole lot of people. They're obviously going to get less rewards, right? And these big names. These huge platforms, like, yeah, they made an impact for the kingdom. Of course, they're going to get massive rewards. We're going to be so surprised by how God rewards us on that last day. We're going to be astounded. We're going to realize that those who were given little but stewarded well are going to be so celebrated, so rewarded, so brought into the joy of their master. In the same way that someone with a huge platform, someone with a lot of talents, a lot that was given for them to steward. We're going to be so surprised by how God evaluates our lives. So don't fall into the trap of comparison. Don't look over your shoulder at what somebody else is doing, what somebody else is stewarding, what somebody else is yielding as fruit. You worry about your own life. You worry about what you've been given, what you are stewarding. What you've been called to multiply and invest. So that is the first thing. Don't fall into the trap of comparison. Second thing is don't create the habit of making excuses. Don't create the habit of making excuses. Because in a moment of divine correction, in moments of settling accounts with God, How many times do we resort to making excuses and shifting the blame? Maybe we're not brave enough to outright accuse God of things, but many times we have passive aggressively blamed God for our failures. Adam said, the woman you gave me, right? Moses, the people you gave me, right? And we say, the skill sets you gave me, God. The job you gave me, the situations you put me in, the personality you gave to me, the hardships you made me go through, the upbringing you gave me. How often do we make excuses for ourselves? There's always going to be an excuse, but here's the hard truth that many of us don't want to hear. At the end of the day, it's not going to justify how you've spent your life. You can word it however you want. You can even convince yourself that it is not your responsibility and not your fault. But here's the hard truth. At the end of the day, it is not going to justify how you've spent your life. Let me give you an example. When I was a kid, my parents gave me a modest allowance. And I have two brothers. I was right in the middle. And they gave us all a different amount according to our, maybe not our ability, but our age. And the point was to teach us how to handle money, how to not spend it all at once, but also how to save and to spend wisely. It was to teach us not to just spend it on ourselves, but also on others, how to not squander it, but also how to not hoard it. And yet, out of the three of us, I would say I was the worst. I was the worst. Even if, you know, I got a little bit more than my younger brother, even if I had gotten, you know, more than my older brother got, I still would have squandered it. I still would have spent it unwisely. I just had, like, I was very impulsive in my spending, and my friends were going out, you know, to the corner store to get some bubble gum. I don't know if you remember those days. Like, I needed to get some too. Like, it wasn't, like, saving it was not even in my mind. You know, like I didn't understand, I needed immediate gratification. And so when I was a kid, I very quickly understood like, okay, I can't, I can't blame how much I've been given because I'm still broke at the end of the month. <laughs> you know, I spent it all, even if they gave me more, I'll probably still do the same. I can't blame how much I've been given. I have to begin to look at myself at my spending habits my decision making and I have to take responsibility for those things in the same way how we live our lives today the decisions that we make the way that we are investing in this lifetime we cannot continue to make excuses we have to take responsibility now let me bring this home to you Where you are in your spiritual walk right now, this instance. How close or how distant you are with God. How hungry you are for spiritual things. All those things. I'm not saying that there's no other factors that play into it. I know it's a very complex matter. But at the end of the day, if you were to stand before God today... You will not be able to say, Hey, but my pastor, you know, but I didn't have a mentor, but I didn't have the right books, but our church went through something very difficult, but my family. We will not have an opportunity to make excuses. We will come before God and have to bear account for our lives. And in that moment, no amount of excuses will justify how you've spent your life. And so this is. My burden as a pastor, as a pastor who, you know, longs to see our community growing in spiritual things, growing in hunger, growing in passion for God, growing in surrender towards him, growing in partnership with him. I know that I can't make anyone love God. I know that for sure. I can't make you get close with God. I can't make you open up your Bible. I cannot make you get spiritually hungry. That I can aid at the best. I can position you and equip you in the best way possible. But at the end of the day, it is your decision. It is your life. It is the state of your heart. It is the intimacy with God that you are going to be living. I, as a pastor, would love it if I could make those things happen for you. But that's not how it works. I can help as much as possible. I can aid as much as possible. Equip, position as much as possible. But at the end of the day, it is you who has to bear account for your life before God. Brothers and sisters, he has given you what it takes. He has equipped you with what you need. He has surrounded you with the support you will require He is for you and he's not against you. He has called you to live a life that is brimming over with good works and holiness and gospel grace so that the world would see you and praise your heavenly father. So do not make decisions out of fear. That is the worst way to make any decision. When you become paralyzed by fear. First John 4.18 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We're called to be a people that know our God and know our Father so well that even when there's a sneaking suspicion, oh, he's being a hard man, we would know the truth, we'd be anchored in who he is, we'd be reminded that, no, he's a good father. He's a faithful shepherd. He is a giving counselor. He is a prince of peace. He is a good God. And that will free us from making decisions out of fear. That will liberate us from being dictated by those fears that we have inside of us and begin to live a life of faith. Because we're called not to react in fear, to whatever circumstances are around us, whatever shakings may be happening around us, we're not called to react in fear. We're called to respond in faith. We're called to be a people that walk in faith. I don't know if you guys saw this movie a few years ago. I'm pretty sure everybody here has watched it. You guys watched Crazy Rich Asians, right? Right, it was like all, it was all the craze, right? I think everybody with a even with a vague tie to to Asian heritage had to watch it. It was kind of like your duty. Um, but I don't know if you guys remember the opening scene of that. You know, is Constance, right? She that's the name, right? She is playing a hand of poker, right, in her econ class, and she's playing against somebody, you know, a student that is, you know, they're they're in the the last round, and. She is bluffing. She's holding nothing, right? But she goes all in, and then this guy folds, although he had a good hand. And then when she shows her hand, and everybody's like, oh, I can't believe she got you, right? After that, this is what she says. You lost because you weren't playing to win. You were playing to not lose. You weren't even thinking about winning. You just were so scared to lose what you have, that you made a decision out of fear. You're playing not to win, but you were playing. No, you were not playing to win. You were playing not to lose. That is making decisions out of fear. Now, here's a closing thought for you to take home as I invite up the praise team. I guess you don't need to take it home because you are home already. But the whole point behind this parable and behind this exercise that the master gave to his servants. The whole point behind it. It was the desire for a shared reward. The desire for shared joy. The desire for a shared Partnership. The master wasn't looking for a reason to exclude his servants from reward. He was looking for a reason and an opportunity to reward them. He wasn't looking for a reason to punish them. He was looking for a reason to bring them into his joy. That was the whole point of this. The master wanted to bring his servants into the fullness of his joy. So the end goal wasn't a moment of settling accounts. It was what happened after was an invitation into joy. Now, for those of us who have a hard time believing that God is not a hard man. For those of us maybe who've experienced things in life where we are very suspicious about his intentions, We are very suspicious about his goodness. Here's the very liberating truth Jesus Christ, who spoke this very parable, he was the one who came down to earth to show us the Father. He said, Whoever has seen me, whoever has heard my words, has seen and heard the Father. And this very same man, he took on the form of a servant. He touched the unclean. He had fellowship with a sinner. He healed the leper. He forgave the unrighteous. He washed our feet. And when the time came, he died for us on the cross. It wasn't for his sins. It was for your sins and for mine. Now, if that's not love, I don't know what is. If that's not generosity, if that's not mercy... If that's not grace, I don't know what is. So this is my prayer for you. If you have a hard time believing that God is not a hard man, fix your eyes on the cross. You'll find all the evidence you need. He is a good God. He is a generous Father. and He has proven it to us through what he did on that cross. Jesus has entrusted a great task to the church. He has entrusted his word. He has entrusted his message. He has empowered and he has anointed his people to com- complete the task of advancing his kingdom, of multiplying his seed, of shining his light, bearing his image, speaking his hope to a lost and dying world. And that is trust. That is partnership. That is purpose you ask yourself why am i in the job that i'm in not me you you ask yourself why are you in the job that you are in you ask yourself why am i in the country that i am in you ask yourself why am i in the family that i am in that's why he has given you one two or five talents to multiply and to steward until his return when your reward will be imminent and your joy will be complete there is going to be a day of settling accounts and i don't want any of us to approach that day with regret in our heart with man i wish i hadn't buried that man i wish i had spent it differently and i wish i had spent my time differently Man, I wish I had taken what he had given me and used it and spent my life differently. I don't want us to go into that day with our heads low and with regret in our hearts. I want us to be able to look him straight in the eye when that day comes. And know that we gave him our best. We gave him our all. And that we are sure to hear those words from our master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and enter the joy of your master. I want to end with this. There's a very important reason why I've been asking myself this question lately. And that has everything to do with our church. I believe God is asking us the question, what kind of church do you want to become? In the same way that my parents asked me, What kind of person do you want to become? I believe we're at a crossroads. I believe we're at a place where God is asking us the very difficult question of what kind of community do you want to become? What kind of witness do you want to bear? What kind of testimony do you want to have? And you won't be able to look at someone else and make excuses. You won't be able to look around and be like, well, our history with the church. Well, what we've been through. Oh, but but Corona. But, you know, I don't want us to be a kind of church that looks around and finds every possible excuse. But I want us to become a church that comes before the Lord. In honesty and sobriety. And becomes the kind of church that he's called us to be. Without any excuses. Without any, oh, but that other church got five talents. Man, they've had it so easy. Oh, but that other person got all these opportunities. They've had it so easy. I don't want us to look around and find excuses to where we are. I want us to begin to walk in faith. I want us to set aside every spirit of comparison. Every spirit of fear. Every excuse that we can make. And begin to take responsibility for the church that we are becoming. This is an invitation from the Lord. This is a moment for us to pray together, to dream together, to contend together, to build this church. I've said this over and over again the people who build the church are not just the pastors, are not just the staff, are not just the elders. You make up the church. You get to decide what kind of church we become. And this isn't just someone else's business. This is your business as well. The gains that we have as a community are your gains as well. The rewards that we have as a community are your rewards as well. The calling that we enter into as a church, that is your calling as well. This has everything to do with you. You know, and as Pastor JP, he announced earlier today, we're going to be having in a few weeks, a night of vision and prayer. A night of vision and prayer is no good. If we're walking into it, feeling like this is someone else's business. Like, oh, this is, let me support Pastor Susie. This is her business. Let me just try to help out a little bit. That's not what we need at this hour. We need sons and daughters of God who look at this church and look at this community and say, this is my business. This is my life. This is my investment. I have a stake in this and I want to see this community rise up to become the community it's been called to be. This is my invitation for all of us. Can we dream together? Can we envision a future for this church together? And we believe that God has something precious and good in store for this community. Make this your business. Make this your prayer. Don't wait for somebody else to take responsibility for this. This is your church. This is your family. So I want to close us today with a time of prayer. My first Question for us as we pray and as we come before the Holy Spirit is do I have an accurate view of God? Do I have an accurate view of who He is? Or do I secretly believe that He is a hard man? Do I secretly believe that He's out for His own gain and His own interest and He's gonna bring me dry? Do I believe that he is good, that he is faithful, that he's forgiving, that he's generous, that he's merciful? Do I have an accurate picture, an accurate view of who God is? Because if that is not there, if that understanding of who he is isn't there, then everything else will be short-lived at best. Everything else will be short-lived at best. So let's ask that God would realign in our hearts and our minds an understanding of who he is. If there's offense in our hearts, if there's hurt in our hearts, if there's suspicion in our hearts, he is a hard man. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would remind us once again today of the kind of father that he is the kind of master that he is the kind of Lord that he is over our lives second question I have for us today is do I have an accurate view of the gifts that he's entrusted to me or have I become so blinded by comparison so blinded by dissatisfaction so blinded by distractions whatever the case may be do I have an accurate picture an accurate view of what he has given me to steward not someone else but you what has he called you to steward what have you been called to do that no one else can do maybe it's to love somebody Maybe it's to sow into a relationship. Maybe it is to be an influence in the marketplace. Whatever it may be, let us never think that he has given us nothing. Let us never think that our hands are empty. Let us never think that he he expects a return when he has given nothing. Let us have an accurate picture of what he's given us. If we've taken it for granted, this is a moment to repent. It's a moment for our eyes to be opened to see what God has actually given to us in his generosity when he owed us nothing. Lastly, my last question for today is, do I have an accurate view of what I'm responsible for? What am I responsible for? What does it mean to be a servant? What does it mean to be about your master's business? What is it that God is going to hold you responsible for? Dispel a misconception that often happens where people equate ministry and church to God's will. And that's not always the case. So I want us to have a sober assessment of what it is that He has made us responsible for. What is my call? What is my task? What is my assignment? What is my responsibility? What have you called me to build? What have you called me to invest in? What have you called me to multiply? What have you called me to steward? So Father, we ask in your mercy and in your grace, God, would you open up our eyes, there's been a slowness to believe there's been if there's been comparison and distraction and offense in our hearts that blinds us to what you're calling us to do right now i pray father that you would free us or god from being held hostage by comparison by excuses and by fear that is no way to live is no way to spend our brief and momentary life here on this earth that is no way to spend our lives we want to live free of these things that we might step into the calling that you've set before us to live the lives that you've called us to live here I pray father that nothing would get in the way that no amount of excuses would get in the way No amount of reasons why we can't do this would get in the way. God, would you give us faith to walk this walk with you? May we trust you, God. You know exactly where it is that you're leading us. You know exactly what it is that you're calling us to. Father, may we be true to you. Because at the end of the day, it is before you that we're going to have to bear account. It is before you that we are going to stand before and bear account of our lives. May we live lives that are true before you, that are honest before you, that are obedient before you. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our hearts and what you're doing in our community as well. Would you help us, God, in this journey? Would you lead us on this journey? And may we trust, God, that what you are doing is for your kingdom, your namesake, and for our reward as well. We love you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.